You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Lucy is our cerebral sci-fi deuce ex machina. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and before I tear up this podcast, I'm going to tear up the dance floor. And I am Adam Thomas, and, uh, yeah, no, that's about all I got this time. so enthusiastic great way to start the show adam we're just so well, pumped was excited until the next announcement comes <laughs> oh wait of course we have to say we have a returning guest here for this particular week um he is the host of the show have not seen this which adam and i have been guests on really fun show recommend you listen to that as well mr rafe tell shrafe welcome to the show Thank you. And Adam and I are a perfect representation of the predator prey instinct that is inherent in animal and mankind and blah, blah, blah. I'm not Morgan Freeman, so I can't make it sound cool. Yep. And you both use about 10% of your brain, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a combined effort to do the 10%. Yeah. <laughs> you got Welcome, Rafe, back to the show. It's been a bit since we've had you on. And uh, you are on to talk about cerebral sci fi films, which is a topic for this particular show in honor of Reminiscence is coming out. The Hugh Jackman vehicle, um, which is kind of interesting in that I'm like, oh, it's technically an original idea, but also looks like about five different big sci-fi movies in the last ten years. We call it Inception Junior. Right, a lot of Inception, a lot of even, also Strange Days, which we've talked about both on of our shows as well. Yeah. Uh, A lot of that with the nostalgia thing or whatever. But um, are you a big fan then of cerebral sci-fi, Rafe? Is that what that really, what really drew you to this as a topic? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I love sci-fi movies that make you think. And I mean, when I was... Uh, um, when I was studying for my undergraduate and graduate degrees, I wrote a lot of essays about the the social commentary aspect of science fiction, which you really get more in those cerebral movies than in, you know, uh, laser beams and, and starships. Right. It's rare that those intersect as much anymore, which is why I'm also kind of curious about of all the big sci-fi movies coming out this year. I'm so fascinated to see what at least uh, I believe it's Lily Wachowski is going to do on her own with the Matrix 4. Yeah. She, she would not do that unless she was really interested in telling another weird story. <laughs> and nothing else will be very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I keep forgetting the Matrix 4 is on the horizon. I'm so excited about that when I remember that it's existing. Yeah. But until it actually gets here or we get a trailer or something, I think I'm just going to continue to live in doubt that it's coming. Kind of like the Avatar sequels that we've been promised for over a decade now, you know. When there's actual proof that they exist, then I'll get excited. Excuse me, I saw Kate Winslet in a mocap suit underwater. That's enough proof for me. <laughs> We're here to talk about cerebral sci-fi, and Adam, I know you're a huge sci-fi fan in general, and uh, cerebral sci-fi is uh, your bag. Oh, for 
for Fox sure to the point to where both times I've been on the Rafe show, they've been cerebral sci-fi films. And uh, whenever he pulls his thumb out of his ass and gets me on for the third time, it's going to be another cerebral sci-fi movie. Um, I absolutely love this genre. I mean, I'm a huge horror nerd, but I'd say cerebral sci-fi and sci-fi in general is probably like my number one top tier genre. When done well, there's nothing like a good sci-fi movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm especially with like as of recent, like Rafe kind of mentioned, we haven't gotten as many of those on a bigger scale. But I like that we've also gotten a lot more on a smaller scale. Like even the, one of the movies we're talking about only costs about fifteen million dollars and is asking you a lot more questions than your average big blockbuster though we still get at the same time a few examples of them kind of trying something daring with particularly another movie coming out this year dune which i'm very curious to see one how that works out and two if it's successful at all yeah i got no interest in that one. Oh no not at all you're not a dune fan at all you've never raved and rambled to me about dune for an hour after we recorded the show that never happened <laughs> I mean, was it? I would say hours. <laughs> it might have been multiple hours for the length of probably Dune's actual runtime of like two and a half hours. <laughs> uh, but you know, well, it, it's curious, especially with our two features are very different examples of uh, the cerebralness of sci-fi. One could argue one of them isn't that cerebral at all. Um, as we get into it, it wants to be. Yes, it wants to be. <laughs> it wants to be for sure. Uh, because if you're new, at the end of every episode, uh, Adam and I pick two random movies that we talk about uh, at, for the next episode. Um, and in this case, uh, Adam had two bad picks. I had two good picks. We ended up picking at the end of our episode for the good and bad feature. And uh, Adam's bad pick, which we'll talk about first, is Lucy, uh, starring Scarlett Johansson. And the good pick that I had was Ex Machina, uh, starring Oscar Isaac and his dance moves and some other people, but mostly those two things. <laughs> But uh, why don't we go ahead and go into our first feature here, Lucy. What happened? We've merely slipped a new package into your lower tummy. And you're going to transport something very special to us. Somebody put a bag of drugs inside me. I need you to take it out. It's leaking. It is estimated most human beings only use 10% of the brain's capacity. Imagine if we could access 100%. Interesting things begin to happen. Yes? Professor Norman, my name's Lucy. I just read all your research on the human brain. It's a little rudimentary, but you're on the right track. Thank you. I have access to 28% of my cerebral capacity. I can feel every living thing. What happens when she reaches 100%? I have no idea. So uh, Lucy came out July 25th, 2014, um, and stars Scarlett Johansson on its $39 million budget made $463 million. Surprise hit. Surprise huge ass hit. A lot of idiots out there. <laughs> A lot of people who just like, oh, it's the Black Widow lady, this part of the Marvel Universe. Hey, whoa, it's that blue shit from uh, Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> but... Uh, before we get into Lucy, I guess we should at least bring this up briefly before we start. Uh, this is from writer-director Luke Besson, uh, who we've never talked about on the show, and I think that was intentional um, for a lot of reasons related to his own personal life, a lot of uh, allegations and things he's flat out admitted. 
um, have made us kind of deter from uh, covering Basan on the show? You know, I, I'll go ahead and accept the fault for it now because it's one of my choices. But I'm going to go ahead and be 100% honest, too. A, I had never seen this movie before. And B, I thought it was one of those Luke Basan produced movies. I didn't realize he was actually in charge of this one, too. Does that maybe have a line of demarcation if he wasn't like a director? you'd be more likely to pick it or maybe a little bit more likely just because like, you know, you and I have even watched like unleashed with Jet Li and that's Luke Besson produced and stuff like that. Like some of them, I think he's in name producer only with a lot of it. I don't think he's really in charge of any of it. Uh, but this one has his fingerprints all over it and it's, uh, he's a terrible, terrible human being and a piece of shit. And, uh, whoopsies, my bad. <laughs> Work. at least we've firmly established i think we can all agree not necessarily a fan of the man but um are you a fan of all of his right. work adam when i was younger i really liked the professional quite a bit i thought it was a really cool movie now if i watch it it makes me feel all gross and icky yeah um and i never ever and i will i, I hot take i don't give a shit i never liked the fifth element like ever Ooh. ever so I'm going to go ahead and say no, not really. Even like La Femme Nikita and, and stuff like that. Like, eh, no, nah, not for me. Yeah, that kind of line between, you know, um, the art and artist kind of thing. It's something we've talked about on the show previously with Rafe. In fact, we've talked about it previously. <laughs> um, I know you're a bit more lenient on that line, Rafe. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still struggle with this. It's funny because it's been years since we've had this conversation and we we continue to have this conversation on the whole separating the art and artist um man i don't know <laughs> i mean i was literally just having this conversation with uh one of your other uh, other guests uh, uh james rodriguez uh like two days ago and we were talking about like the usual suspects which is directed by brian singer who's a piece of shit and you know has has uh, kevin spacey in it who's a piece of shit and and but like it's a brilliant film so where do you draw the line like i i don't want to say i'm never going to see that film again because it, it happens to, to have those people involved but at the same time you know where when are you supporting the artist as opposed to the art so it's i, I struggle with it you know i mean fifth element i i love the fifth element um i i've never seen the professional and I, I don't think i'm apt to in uh um given current circumstances you know i don't think that's something i will i will look to anytime soon well i i i do it like this personally and i because it is a very hard thing you know like you said usual suspects is a great movie my thing is when the art directly represents sort of the artist maybe awful fetishes or things like that, then no, I, I will not watch it. Like The Professional, or like the Jeepers Creepers movies, particularly part two, or something like that. When they're literally just laying it out there on the line in film form, this is the shit that I'm into and, and I'm an awful person, but hey, it's art. So it, it should be exempt from sort of uh, that sort of analysis. And I can fuck that. I, no, 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 no. Get that shit off my TV. Yeah, I, and I agree. I just recently uh, rewatched Firefly because I had never seen two of the episodes or three of the episodes. I just had somehow missed the, the last couple episodes. And you watch the pilot episode of Firefly, given the allegations that have come up against Joss Whedon, and it makes me feel dirty watching that pilot episode. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, 
that's the thing is like a lot of the directors that usually have this kind of issue like most directors in general kind of like there is a bit of autobiography put into any of them some maybe more than others which is a bummer for like directors where i I love quite frankly a few like woody allen movies but his work is so autobiographical in certain circumstances where it's just like i can't like fully support this i think especially not a fan of supporting people who are still alive and literally like either renting or buying the movie to right. any degree while they're still around and are able to like use that money to defend themselves basically and kind of proceeds from that uh which is like for example like you know i love alfred hitchcock i'm more willing to buy an alfred hitchcock movie uh that now that he's dead because considering like, all the horrible shit he did to his lead actresses i'm not really like supporting anything like any kind of true that the man for doing that and, you know maybe when some of these people aren't alive to use some of that money i'm more inclined to support that but until then i definitely am not as inclined and luckily with lucy uh, i did not pay any money to see it and i think what we're talking about with directors kind of having their personal fetishes on display uh luke Besson is especially guilty of that and it's on full display in lucy which um is in case you couldn't tell huh luke Besson might have some kind of proclivity toward quote-unquote badass action heroines who he likes to just fully display in these like badass scenarios and also ob- objectify them completely huh i've never seen him do that in any of his films at all <laughs> see I, I think people are going to interpret what you just said as putting a hit out on some of these artists so that they you can appreciate their work again thomas uh for legal reasons i'm not saying that uh, i'm <laughs> not supporting the yeah. death of anyone at all oh no let's just say i i want to watch rosemary's baby guys so can we maybe make... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway anyway lucy to get onto it, uh, in case you maybe forgot, the basic premise of Lucy is uh, we follow Lucy, as played by Scarlett Johansson, who is this uh, student who is in Taiwan while she's studying, is uh, shacking up with this guy named Richard, um, played by a guy who's I've seen a bunch of movies I can't pronounce the student's name just because it's a weird Swedish thing. <laughs> it's a uh, like Pilu Aspic. Pilo Ospik, yes, uh, who um, is trying to tell her, like, hey, why don't you uh, just deliver this suitcase? It should be no problem. Um, the guy doesn't like my face. And she's like, no, I don't really want to do it. He handcuffs the suitcase to her. She goes up to uh, the office of this South Korean gangster, uh, played by Choi Min-suk, who you might recognize from, like, Old Boy, amongst other things. And uh, they end up putting what's inside the suitcase, which is a lot of this blue drugs of some sort and packages inside of her stomach to transport and through some weird process where the drugs are breaking down she's able to like access more of her mind which also means she is able to like shoot with more accuracy than anybody and speak in language she's never learned and mind read people and know how their physiology is working and as things go along and she gets to more access of her mind uh, she is able to get other weird powers, and Morgan Freeman's there to give like exposition about this as well. Yep, he clearly <laughs> needs the money to buy more freckles or something. Like what? The... So the old scientific, you know, oh, human beings only use ten percent of the brain. We know it's bullshit. Yes, we even knew at that this time it was complete bullshit. At this time, it's bullshit. It's a completely disproven scientific theory. But now, on the flip side, so this movie is firmly telling you. Imagine if you could access all your brain. You could levitate people, change the color of your hair, turn into sludge, talk to a Neanderthal, whatever the fuck you can imagine you could do. Now, I'm not, say, a smart man or <laughs> or even have a particularly scientific mind, but I'm willing to bet 
that if we unlocked 100% of our brain, it would mostly be used for porn. <laughs> Most likely. Not becoming the X-Men. Let's put it that way. Like, that's the triple X-Men, maybe. But the X-Men, no, not going to happen. This is just fucking this movie. I am so sorry, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, um, you hadn't seen this before, so you're clearly uh, reacting in a very strong way to it. Um, I know I had seen this movie before in theaters, uh, but Rafe, you'd also seen it before, apparently, but completely forgot about it. Is that correct? Yes. When when you told me that this was the pick, first of all, I wanted to ask if I could take the cannoli. Um, but but I, when I looked it up, I was like, I think I've seen this movie. And when I was sitting down watching it in preparation for this, I was like, yeah, I, I apparently I have seen this movie before in theaters. And it is that that remarkable that it didn't stay with me at all. And has anything changed with you watching it now? Um, I feel like I lost a percentage of my brain watching it now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this this plays out like a, a, a glorified pilot episode. Like this would make a good TV series. Uh, if you took the basic premise of her then needing to hunt down the other bags and then she gets more powerful across the TV series. But then they also could let her, like, I don't know, reuse her powers. Because, like, at one point early in the movie, she puts everybody in a room but one the guy she wants to talk to to sleep just by, like, blinking. But she can never use that power again. Like, instead, she has to, like, become a badass shooter or levitate people. It's like, why don't you just go around putting everybody to sleep? Like, that works. Uh, that wouldn't that like simplify things tremendously? Yeah, uh, they they don't necessarily have a lot of continuity consistency with what they're doing. That's that's a no. that's that's very clear. Um, I mean, I remember when I saw this in the theaters because uh, I was covering it for a podcast I used to do. Um, I was a lot more negative to it. Um, when it came out, I was much more visceral against it. I think watching it again now, um, I still don't like it at all. Uh, but I would say at the same time, I could see at least like. A more interesting movie in here in terms of i think if basan had just cut down on like the more elaborate stuff like the way he described this movie apparently was it's three parts of a movie where one part of it is like leon the professional then the second part's like inception and the third part is like 2001 a space odyssey um i think if he had maybe whittled it down to more of i think the sillier campier fun stuff that happens with like the the idea of like oh she she can access all her brain power and stuff and maybe made it a bit more like a fifth element in terms of tone. I think it'd be a much more fun movie. I think the the best stretch of it really is uh, when she's like traveling to France and she's like completely breaking down and then she ends up partnering up with Amir Wakid as the one guy in France like the Interpol agent or whatever. That stuff is where it feels like it's a, it's biggest scene of like we're just having a fun dumb time with this movie but then it keeps like interrupting that uh, especially earlier on and later on uh with like a lot of let's sit down and let's talk about like oh this is what's happening with my mind and scarred your hands and it's doing like a fucking obit from community impression the whole fucking time right i mean like it, the the more of her brain power that she has access to the more wooden and robotic her performance is in this. Like she voiced a fucking computer in her with more emotion than she puts forth in this movie. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it, and it's like, it's embarrassing, you know, that she's, she's, she has this great speech about what makes us us, but it's delivered so robotically that it's just like, 
it's unremarkable. And I think that's part of why I'd forgotten this movie was because it's she does nothing in this movie to make you remember it. Like, this could have been a cool origin story superhero type movie of this woman who's unlocked more of her brain power. But instead, the, the more evolved she gets, the less interesting she becomes. Yeah, it's almost like Luke Bassan views women as objects. Um, <laughs> no, I completely agree, you know, especially with what you said, Thomas. The thing is, hey, those three movies that he's referenced, and of course, one of them is his own fucking pretentious prick. But what a weird combination of movies. Now, I agree if you to lean more into sort of the fun, it could have been good. Or if you leaned more into the 2001-esque, then it could have been something different. But to, to sort of try to cobble those three completely, totally different films together to to come up with one coherent piece, I mean, A, you, you damned yourself from the start, 100%. This, this movie doesn't even know what it wants to be in any way, shape, or form. It has no idea. It's so all over the place. And then, like, the weird forced sort of almost relationship with her and the Interpol agent, which is ridiculous. And again, could Morgan Freeman give less of a fuck in this movie? And he's your narrator for the most part. We have to cut to him talking over like uh, fucking planet earth footage at several yeah, points. Yeah, over, over a fucking deer birthing. Oh, let's... Those Great. interstitials are ridiculous. Like, they serve no... Pr they disappear a quarter of the way through the film, so they don't even consist... Like, I just think he wanted to get a family guy thing in there along with uh, um, all the other things that he was trying to reference. But, like, when he's doing his speech and he's talking about animals and the predator-prey thing, and then he talks about... Um, the, the, about reproduction. Like, we needed to see 30 seconds of different animals fucking, including humans. It feels like he, it's yep. less... I think there is a purpose to it, but it's more of just, like, a really dumb surface-level thing. Just, like, I want to firmly establish this point with, like, the stock footage that I got. With even earlier on, like, Lucy is being tempted by uh, the Richard character, and he's talking about, like, oh, why don't you come along with me? And there's footage of, like, a mouse getting near a mouse trap. And she like that. She's yeah. like, dude, I get it. <laughs> this isn't complicated. When she goes into the the hotel or whatever, and they have the 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 footage of the the cheetah or whatever get, getting ready to attack the gazelle, and it's like on one hand she's supposed to be the gazelle, on the other hand she's wearing a fucking cheetah print jacket. Oh yeah. Which oh, like I I was yeah. reading trivia on this, and they're like, oh, this is clever, and I'm like, no, it's not. It actually ruins the metaphor completely. <laughs> not only is it not clever, it comes off borderline pretentious and also really feels like a tool to pad the runtime yes like a hundred percent there's no there, it's completely unnecessary yeah it's it, the movie's 89 minutes long and it feels like it's really stretching at certain points to get to there i think particularly during that whole element of it and it also even interrupts like as much as i don't like luke Besson as a person the stuff where it's actually her kind of feeling tense about like the guy contacting the uh the gangster character it's like really well done in terms of like the actual filming of it and how like you can see the nervous tension on lucy's face and everything but he has to interrupt it with this footage and it just like really ruins a lot of the the stuff we're talking about not just with even the mixed metaphors but just like it's just ruining the pace of the actual shot to shot composition the fact that she gets the powers or whatever and that that the drug is something that fetuses produce like okay whatever fine it's a sci-fi movie i'll go with it but so she gets the powers basically because of an attempted sexual assault mm -hmm. 
which the boss never would have fucking permitted. The boss that we saw in that first scene was a hard ass. He never would have accepted them treating any of the mules like that, let alone it leading to the events of this movie. Like that alone is unbelievable. And the thing is like, there's a couple cool little moments like where she can sort of like see the inner workings of a tree and her friend knows she knows her friend's liver is going to fail her, like stuff like that. All right. I'll kind of go with it. The visually it's, it's kind of interesting, but then like Rafe said, even said earlier, then it just, that goes away. A hundred percent just goes away. Like she does it for like two scenes and then it's nothing. And then she gets the fucking cell phone signals. Fuck off with this. What am I watching here? Oh, and let's, let's talk about the plane where she's on the airplane using the multiple computers, but she's already shown that she can interact with computers with her mind, so why would she need the keyboards? Also, two computers at the same time, like it's a bad CSI show, which is like, I need to hack faster. I need two computers. (laughs) But then the most interesting possible route that they could have taken the movie happens where her body is, is disintegrating, which this whole... The cell chooses immortality, so somehow that means she's falling apart. Don't understand that still. But she goes into the bathroom and essentially is disintegrating, and then she wakes up in custody in a hospital bed. And it's like, wait, what the, What the, What happened here? And they don't really go back to that until the ending with the very 2001 stuff, once that starts hitting, and how the, she transforms into a USB drive, basically. Yes. Oh. All, all, like, accessing 100% of your brain means that you can make a USB drive that sparkles with stars. Really makes you question, like, what Circuit City is selling. Nothing right now. It's selling nothing. <laughs> I was about to say, did you say Circuit City? Maybe that's why. They thought it was Souls. <laughs> I would just love it if Morgan Freeman picked up the USB, just like, only 20 gigs. Wow. Yeah. Just that's, that's how much it... <laughs> Yeah. She I says, can't... I will make you a computer so you can understand, and it's a USB drive. What? <laughs> That's not making a computer. I don't know. The thing is, I think some of this dumber stuff, I agree, would it really does not work with like the bigger over the top kind of like 2001 stuff they're working on. I think it would work so much better if we didn't have these moments to really stop and have Johansson try and deliver some of the stuff that we're talking about. Like the whole sequence you're talking about with Leo Tipton as her roommate, and she's just talking about that, like, oh, your your liver's falling apart and all sorts of stuff, but you'll be fine. You can be good. Like, I think that stuff dilutes a lot of like the fun, energetic stuff that was going on earlier like if honestly if th- this would work better is like if you cut all that shit out and it was like i don't know a 50 minute movie that was just her gaining powers and doing silly shit and even like her not doing her pa- going back to her powers would work because it's like weird stream of consciousness but you have to keep going kind of thing i'm telling you it's a glorified pilot episode it ends up running five seasons you know that that, that her on the hunt for more information and unlocking more of her brain that would be a cool idea i would take that but as it yeah. is here and 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 either utilize morgan freeman 100 or don't bring him on board like we open with narration by board scarlett johansson before we move into narration by Morgan Freeman. It's like, you already had him. Just go ahead and have him narrate the whole thing. I, I mean, I agree. And, you know, the, the, the other question I want to raise. So the idea is that she unlocks her brain, right? Her personal brain. So wouldn't it stand to reason that she would have to have some knowledge of the way guns work or computer technology or things like that in order to be able to expertly do it at some point. Even if some, something as simple as that doesn't make sense to me. Like, so she unlocks the potential of her personal brain. Therefore, she understands how everything she's never come into contact with works. Like, I just don't understand that. Spoken like a true 10 percenter, Adam. That's all I can say. I am so sorry. Hold on. <laughs> 
but that's that's the thing. It's I, I get the idea behind it, but it's such a half-ass done idea and plot to where look at all this cool power she has now with no reasoning. No, and you're trying to make this scientific-based movie, especially with the Morgan Freeman shit, but no care is given into sort of how she can do this or or why she can do it. None of it. Just, ah, 80% now, so she can fucking levitate a car. What? It's a movie that science is based on disproven science, and they give no care into trying to explain, well, why it would work. Like, nothing. It's 89 minutes of just special effects that really are inconsequential to anything that came before it. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Oh, and and I'll, I'll add on top of that, she's never given any motivation as to why she wants to unlock 100% of her brain. Like, she wakes up from the drug and she has higher use of her brain and suddenly she wants to get to 100%, but there's never well, any reason as to why that is a, a pursuit her character is undergoing. Well, it's sort of loosely, it's kind of said that she has to keep taking the drug to survive. Right. Well, I mean, there's there's a plot reason that, like, Adam's talking about, but I think what they're kind of trying to hit, and I think Bassan just does so poorly, is that it's kind of like, we establish her earlier on with the Richard character, and she's firmly being a person who's, like, being goaded into doing this. She's, like, they're trying to sell the idea of, like, oh, she's a woman who is being constantly used by men. But then she ends up getting the capability of, like, I can be in charge and I can be the most intelligent person in the room and kick all of your asses. In theory, that would be fun. That would be interesting as sort of, like, an actual motivation for her. But the way that she ends up becoming this bigger persona is, like we mentioned, it's her, like, accessing all this brain power, but just so she can become this badass who occasionally has these monotone monologues. That just shows that it's, like, it's it's the weird thing where Bassan usually likes to have his sort of badass female characters be kind of like uh, Lilu in the fifth element where they're basically like children in terms of like their actual personalities or their mind. And here it's just like, no, she's a smart lady, but it's like, but yeah, she has all the same personality traits, which is to say none of these other characters you've established previously. She's just a badass. There's nothing actually to them as a character. <laughs> That's sort of the biggest problem of this movie really is that all the characters are so thin. No, I don't, I never felt any sort of motivation behind anything. Like the motivation of her trying to unlock the hundred percent, whatever, is so stupid and just barely even there that you're just watching people. It feels like you're watching high school kids put on a fucking play that one of them. Like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, this is just. There's no re rhyme or reason behind really anything that happens in this movie. Yeah, and in theory, like if it was a quite frankly a movie that embraced itself being dumber. I think I would not question this nearly as much. I think if it was a movie that was just like breakneck doing the silliest, dumbest stuff with the sci-fi premise and just making her a superhero, I think I wouldn't question nearly as much of this, like you're saying, if they didn't just have to stop and like really pontificate in a way that, uh, quite frankly, the pretentiousness, I agree, really comes across in moments like that. Yeah, pretentious is. I mean, the, the, you, you picked this as a cerebral sci-fi movie, and the only deep thought, the only real cerebral aspect of this film that I could pick out was th this uh, this idea of time being unity, that time is the constant or, or whatever. And even that is underdeveloped. It's not really like it could be a cool idea, but it's not there because everything in this is so underdeveloped. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is trying so hard to be smart and thought provoking. It's really trying. That's why it only, it does work for a bad cerebral sci-fi yeah. because it really wants you to think and sort of take stock of 
sort of how you live and how you perceive yourself and others and what human potential could be. And but but it's just so dumb. Like it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> like after watching this fucking movie, like I kind of want humankind to end. Like like this this is just this movie, bro. This is why I hate sci-fi movies sometimes. <laughs> like I love them, but this is the type that makes me angry because it it's really really trying to tap into this really cool, fantastical yet that smartly written heady concept, and it's just so half-ass and half-cocked the whole time. Like this is there, there's no reason why this movie other than obviously Luc Besson, but why somebody who produced or finances didn't look at the script and be like, well, you might want to tighten this up in these couple places or maybe get a little bit more like into the, I don't know, fucking why is any of this happening? There's none of that. It's none of it. It is a pretentious passion piece that he made it for himself, clearly. And I have zero respect for that. Yeah, especially when he's like, hmm, the writer needs to kind of, like, ask the director about this. Oh, wait, they're the same person. Maybe they need to ask the producer. Oh, wait, it's the same person. <laughs> just a feedback <laughs> loop of just three people like, ho, 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 it is great. I love it. That's basically what the, the fucking development process. <laughs> oh, the croissant, baguette. <laughs> we apologize to most of our French listeners, uh, but if you're listening, Lupus on, fuck you. Yeah. Can we get a uh, mouse that makes a pasta? Like, it's just... Yeah, this movie's fucking terrible. Do you have anything to add? Maybe add more of those your final thoughts, basically. It, it's insulting to the viewer. It's insulting to the actors involved, especially people who we know uh, can put out quality work, like a Scarlett Johansson or a Morgan Freeman. It, it, it's garbage. It's a garbage fire of a movie made for nobody but Luc Besson. Um, and the fact that this movie made as much money as it did is fucking mind-blowing to me. But I'm also glad that a sequel was never greenlit. Because with that type of money, there should have been a sequel, and I'm glad that never happened. <laughs> yeah, they briefly talked about it, and uh, thankfully it didn't happen. But, Rafe, your final thoughts on Lucy? Bassan says he wanted it to be like Leon the Professional, like Inception, which makes me wonder if he actually ever saw Inception, because that's there's nothing like that here. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, he goes heavy-handed in with the whole Lucy meeting Lucy type thing. Um, but it, you, you also have, you know, as I said, Family Guy or Animal Planet thrown in here. You've, you've got a scene when she's first overdosing on the drug that she has goes into convulsions and slides up the wall onto the ceiling. And I was just waiting for Freddy Krueger to show up and kill her. You know I mean? It's like this movie is so full of references to other stuff that frankly did it better that it's just, it's an embarrassment. And I, I yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it made me appreciate black widow more. I gotta say. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I agree mostly with what's been said. I think if anything, the biggest problem is like I mentioned before, it's got its, I think, one foot in trying to be a cerebral sci-fi movie and the other foot being a dumb Luc Besson action sci-fi. And I think if it really just leaned more toward that other end, and I think that's more of Besson's, quite frankly, strengths, I think it would work because there's fun action sequences. Like, we didn't talk about it, but I really like the car chase that happens in the middle of France. I think it's like the highlight of the whole movie with her and the Interpol agent guy. I think that's like the most fun I had in the movie or even her going yeah, down the hallway and like throwing the guys around with admittingly very poor CG effects of just like guys kind of like, and squirm in front of the green screen, just kind of squirm in the air. Basically the lowering the barrier 
that was cool. I will give you that. Mm-hmm. The only person who seems to, I think, get the tone this movie's going for is the the gangster guy I mentioned, Choi Ming-suk. Like, I think he's having the most fun, and I think has the most interesting stuff to do. Like, even earlier on, when Lucy is, like, first captured, and she's like, he's speaking to the translator, is so very, like, um, dismissing it, just like, oh, yeah, sure, just throw it off. Like, <laughs> try and translate this to this idiot, basically. I think if the movie was more in that kind of tone with like that or some of the bigger dumb action sequences, I would have a lot more fun with it as opposed to when it does just slow everything down to have either Morgan Freeman or Scarlett Johansson just pontificate about, Oh, look, this is like matter and antimatter coming together or whatever fucking bullshit. It's just like, let's just slows down this movie. That was like, it's only 89 minutes, but those moments, it just stretches so much um, to the point where it's, uh, it's not, I don't think his worst movie either. I would personally say I hate a Valerian more, quite frankly, because it feels like we're even wasting more money. <laughs> I have not seen that. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I got it. Yeah. But um, it, it's still quite bad from a bad person. But before we go into our next feature, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. The kid and I have flown from one side of the galaxy to the other. We've been listening to a lot of strange podcasts. But the monster sci-fi show stands above the rest. Isn't that right, Quarku? I still hate that name. The Monster Sci-Fi Show is part of the ESO Network. It's sci-fi from a certain point of view. Alright, now let's talk about our good feature, Ex Machina. Over the next few days, you're going to be the human component in the Turing test. One day the AIs are going to look back on us the same way we look at fossils. Hello. How do you feel about her? Oh man, she's amazing. Do you want to be my friend? Of course. Now the question is, how does she feel about you? Do you think about me when we are together? Did you give her sexuality as a diversion tactic? This is your insecurity talking. This is not your intellect. Fine. Did you know that I was brought here to test you? <laughs> Does Ava actually like you? Or is she pretending to like you? Nathan, isn't your friend her wrong? Wrong about what? Everything. So Ex Machina came out April 10th, 2015, from director-writer Alex Garland, who previous to this had written a few um, genre films, uh, like 20 Days Later um, and Sunshine, and had directed previously uh, Never Let Me Go, and had at least written Dread, though from what I'd heard, uh, he kind of basically directed Dread as well, kind of like on the down low uh, from the other director. That production apparently was not that great, despite how awesome that movie is, but this is sort of his big breakout as a director in particular with Ex Machina, which, if you have not seen this one, basically it follows uh, Caleb, who's played by Dom Hall Gleason, who's a programmer for Blue Book, which is this big search engine that is run by uh, Nathan Bateman, played by Oscar Isaac, and he wins this competition to come over for a research facility trip to uh, the compound where Nathan lives, and uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. And after signing an NDA and stuff, uh, Nathan tells him, you are going to be part of a human Turing test where you are going to literally administer a test to determine this AI that I've created, which is a little robot that's played by Alicia Vikander named Ava. How you're going to basically be able to determine 
um, you know, if you can recognize the idea that this robot could potentially pass as human. Um, and from there, it's a lot of uh, conversations back and forth between uh, Caleb and Ava and then Caleb and Nathan in this compound over the course of several days uh, where we determine uh, who might be the one that's uh, trying to manipulate Nathan, who's trying to maybe save them or maybe not or maybe both. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But um, I picked this. I saw it in theaters and was a huge fan of it at the time. Um, I think it's a really immaculate looking movie and I think it's got such stellar performances from everybody and is a solid example of a cerebral sci-fi movie and that it makes you question a lot of things about man versus machine and uh, how we kind of interact with machines and uh, how maybe uh, machines might be more human than we are to a certain degree. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of interesting questions that come up because of this. Rafe, um, are you a fan of this movie? This is probably one of my favorite movies from the last decade. I saw this in theaters as well, immediately fell in love with it. It's visually stunning. Uh, the performances are top notch. I mean, I, I, and it's, it's fun seeing, you know, Domin Hall Gleason and Oscar Isaac, who, you know, of course are both in the, the Star Wars trilogy, the, the newer trilogy acting opposite each other. Um, I, I, I love this and, and this is cerebral sci-fi this makes you think and it's and part of the reason i think it succeeds is because it it builds so strongly on a foundation that goes back to to you know romantic literature and and ancient literature it builds on that it uses those ideas and and adds to them as part of the conversation and that's what good cerebral science fiction should do well adam do you uh, like ex machina uh, i mean yeah, of course. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> but it, you know, the thing is, you brought up the performances, and I, I do think Alicia Vikander and Oscar Isaac are phenomenal in it. Man, I got to tell you, though, I, I just do not like Donald Gleason. I do not like his performance. I don't like him as an actor. I, I just think he's very uh, – It's to me, it sounds like he's reading script. Um, I, I just can't. For some reason, that's the one thing that stops me from giving this movie like a perfect score. Just can't get behind him. And it's very hard to really love a movie if sort of your lead uh, you feel no attachment to. And unfortunately, that's my problem with this movie. That's interesting. Uh, so you're not a fan of Dom Hall in general or just in this movie? Kind of in general. I didn't like him in this. I didn't like him in, obviously, the new Star Wars movies, but I don't really blame him. I didn't like those movies, period. Uh, but most things I've seen him in, I, I just, I don't really... He doesn't do it for me. I don't know. Interesting. Like, I don't think he's the a terrible actor or the worst actor. I just, I, I just find him to be sort of unbelievable. I mean, I would say this isn't my favorite performance of his. I think he tends to work better in sort of like wiry character roles. Like I would argue, I love him in those Star Wars movies. He's one of the few consistent things to me, playing just a weaselly piece of shit on uh, as part of the First Order, or even in other things like Dread. I think he's great as like the dude who's running the um, surveillance and stuff like that. I think him playing the lead, I can agree. I think he's the weakest of this small cast, but I think that's just because you got Vikander doing a phenomenal job of playing a robot, and Oscar Isaac. Like, he'd been in movies previously, as we talked about, like, Inside Llewellyn Davis, but this is Oscar Isaac becoming a fucking star. Like, the moment you were first introduced to this, the dude in this movie, you're just like, this dude is so charismatic, so handsome, and so immediately just, like, has this great mixture of, like, oh, I want to have a beer with this guy, but also, what's in that beer? He might have just poisoned me. <laughs> he does <laughs> such a phenomenal job. I think he's the weaker link, but at the same time, I think it's also just part of the character, which I think we'll get into more of, but maybe do you maybe not agree with that Rafe about Gleason? 
I personally really like Gleason. I think he's perfect in this movie as, I mean, he's he's got to be the audience surrogate, so we need him to kind of have, you know, kind of be wide-eyed, and I think he carries that off. But I, I feel like he has a passion. Like, I love, I've, one of my favorite moments in this movie is he starts this whole tech speech about how did you make her, you know, how did you get this conversation? You know, did you go down this route? Did you go down this route? And, like, his delivery of that makes me go, yeah, this guy's a nerd. And I also love the response that comes from Nathan just shutting it down because that's essentially the, the writer director telling us as the audience, we're not going to go down that road. That's not this, this, this is not that kind of a movie. Um, and, and at Gleason, um, I, I love him in about time. Like, I think that's a, a phenomenal role that he has as well. Um, and I agree. I think the Weasley character he plays in the Star Wars trilogy is fantastic. So I'm, I'm personally a fan of his. Uh, so Adam is wrong as usual. <laughs> um, but I mean, so do you place it more on maybe the character, Adam, or is it more of like his performance? What do you think doesn't sell you about that character necessarily? To me, it's the performance. It's not the character at all. I, I think the character is uh, sort of the logical uh, sort of character type for this for this movie. Where he's you know sort of closed off, maybe you know could be considered a nerd by the. But I just want to point out, I didn't say nerd. Uh, Rafe did that. He I, hates, I, I said he, it. he hates geek culture. Fucking like <laughs> this is why he's not on the ESO network, the great geek <laughs> podcast network that we love. Being. Yeah. Um, (laughs) thanks rub that in that i don't have a network affiliation i appreciate that um no the thing is it's just uh i i I, it's his performance man i don't know i don't know if it is him covering up his accent i don't know what it is but there's something about it that just really feels sort of wooden and emotionalist to me and which is crazy because there are scenes where he really does go for it with emoting and it just never feels believable for me I, I don't know. It's it's just one of those things. He's not like on my list or anything, but yeah, I just I, even when I first saw this movie, it, it just that's the one thing that didn't work for me. What I find fascinating to me about like his character in this is like, he's a guy who thinks he's the main character of the story, but really he is much more of a side person, which is kind of the genius of the script to me. Is that he's this guy who we're following and he thinks like, oh, I'm going to be the one to save Ava and I'm going to be the one to like take down this guy and everything's going to be great. When really like his one contribution is so like ancillary, it's like a crucial thing that he has to like change the security system and whatnot. But he is so ancillary compared to the other two characters, but he thinks he's the main character of the story. And I just love that, especially where it feels like he's so determined, but like, you know what, I'm going to get Ava out of this and we're going to be, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend. We're going to be so together. They establish she's kind of like this sad, lonely dude and not too distant away from like an Oscar Isaac. I like the fact that they have these two characters and he thinks like, oh, he's the weird loner creep. But it's like, dude, you're also kind of a loner. And also you're doing this for selfish reasons. I just love the fact that like, it's so firmly a movie that's deconstructing the hashtag nice guy kind of trope we're just like i'm gonna be the one to white knight and save the mistress from this castle and the dragon it's like no you're not (laughs) she doesn't give a single fuck about you i so wish that was a line (laughs) (laughs) well i gotta be the one to save her from the castle and the dragon (laughs) (laughs) then you just be like master thespian bravo dom hall brilliant (laughs) for sure it changed my entire opinion of his performance (laughs) One of one of the things I, I remember the first time I saw this movie, 
uh, noticing because the movie is broken down into the sessions. You know, you get the title screen every once in a while that's, you know, Ava session one, Ava session two is, you know, by session seven, it's really apparent to the audience who's running these sessions, that Ava is the one asking all the questions. She's no longer, you know, reacting to Caleb. She's she's dominating the conversation. She's the one running the show. And one of the things that's really fun is on subsequent viewings, realizing how early in the film that di- power dynamic switches. Like, you, you, it's very visible by the end of the movie if it's their first time seeing it. But that shift happens way early in the film. And I think part of that is because of exactly what you're saying about his character. Right, yeah, where he thinks he's in control, but she is manipulating that dude like a puppet. And in, right. the, in the best way, we're like, in worse hands, that could come off as like, oh, Ava's a villain. Not at all. Ava is the most sympathetic character of the whole movie. And such a credit to Alicia Vikander, who imbues her with so much, like, joy and fear that's, like, very subtle. It's such a beautifully subtle performance that I think... A big thing about this movie is it was a surprise thing with the Oscars where it won Best Special Effects, which keep in mind it won over movies like Mad Max, Fury Road, The Martian, Star Wars, Force Awakens, and The Revenant, which was a pretty stunning example. And the special effects are really well done. We'll talk about it a bit more. But also Alicia Vikander won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar that year for The Danish Girl which is, for the record, a terrible fucking movie. A terrible transphobic piece of shit movie. <laughs> but she is very good in it, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was more a thing of like, well, she was so good in the sci-fi movie that we're not going to give her a nomination for, but we'll give her the win for the classier, artsier movie, quote-unquote. And it feels like that, because this is a stunning turn from her in a way that made her like one of the immediate actresses I want to watch further. Like This was the movie that really got me on her radar. She owns this movie. It's really important that it ends up being the most sympathetic character for us is the freaking computer, you know, and 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 that's alluded to within the narrative of the story as well, that that Nathan knows that the future will see AI dominating the planet and they will look back at how primitive human beings were. And that's what Alex Garland is doing with this film at the same time. He's making you feel for the machine more than you feel for the humans. And he does that even with Kyoko, you know, that you you can see just in facial, I mean, she never gets to utter a word, but you can see in facial expressions and body language, she's abused and you feel bad for her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, the thing is, though, too, about this, this is not an untold sci-fi story. No. Kind of at all. There's, if any sci-fi movies when they do the touring test sort of idea because it has been done several times is you know man creates ai ai realize their creators they question their creator like man questions god and realize they're infallible so therefore they must be god it, it, it is something that has been done several times but it is handled in such a small personal way in this film and it does help a of course alicia vikander is just perfect in this movie her performance is like mind-blowingly good but also oscar isaac he comes across as the antagonist and like a prick and all this stuff but he genuinely believes in what he's doing for like the good of science and to progress technology and things like that it's not just a cash grab he wants dominance over you know sort of modern day technology but not for sort of the money reasons or things like that uh, just for scientific reasons, it almost comes across. And 
it's it's a really good performance too. Um, I'd argue, like of course, like I said, with Domino Gleason, I, I might have my issues with him, but this movie's anchored by two of the most nuanced characters in this little sci-fi movie that basically takes place in in one sort of location. But you can feel the world they're living in because of those performances, because of those characters and the way they're written. It, it's it's really remarkable. Well, I would slightly argue maybe with like Oscar Isaac in terms of I think he is fully being selfish and malicious. I think he might be thinking that he's like, oh, no, I'm totally doing this for the right reasons. But it is so self-servicing. That's what makes him a good villain, though. Right. You know, he, he believes what he's doing is for the good of others. And he believes it's a necessary thing that needs to be done. But obviously, the way he's doing it is is just reprehensible. I think what also works is that it's, it feels so much more specifically modern. Like, the type of tech dude that Oscar Isaac is, we see all the time now. Like, I wouldn't 100%. be surprised if Elon Musk had, like, an Ava in his fucking basement of some sort and he would totally be this dude who would dance and I'm sure Oscar Isaac would be the guy who would go on Joe Rogan and smoke weed and say like yeah I built an AI in the fucking dope I'm, I, I fuck it I'm so awesome also, that's the thing Oscar Isaac all he does in this movie is drink and fuck so yeah we he is that guy we've seen that guy he is that modern sort of hip tech genius um, a thousand percent this guy could exist in the world today and that's what makes it more grounded movie even though it's dealing with these grandiose sci- sci-fi themes it, it's it's like i said that's what's so remarkable about the script he's not like sort of the mustache twirling ceo where he's driving a fucking lamborghini and yeah shit like that he's just this sort of shut off dude who lives in this compound but he still has like admirations to become this almost like a god like it, it's it's pretty cool Oh, I wouldn't even say almost like a god. He 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 latches onto that god complex early on when he even when isn't he... that would create AI like honestly, and that's I think what the movie's dealing with. I, I think someone would go to that realm to create an AI to create a conscious being that you can control. It's a it's a god complex, a hundred percent. That's what he has, and he, it's it's a really cool way of doing it in this movie. It, it is different than most of the other archetypes that we have in science fiction. Yeah, that that bit where he misquotes what Caleb said earlier, just like, I love what you said earlier, that I am like God. I didn't quite say that. I am like God. I loved what you said there. And the whole back and forth about the quoting thing also I love, particularly where it's just like, well, actually, that's not my quote. Like, literally, Caleb is doing a well, actually, to this dude. He's just like, I know what it fucking is, dude. I'm not dumb. (laughs) Like, of course, a fucking tech bro would know goddamn Alice through the looking glass. You fucking idiot. Of course he would know that. He's a smart guy. Yeah. And as you said, that establishes his God complex early on, which carries you through the film. I mean, that's God. Isaac's performance in this is so brilliant. It just it just blows my mind. It's like right from when he enters the compound. Once again, it just feels immediately just like you're curious to hang out with this dude. He is literally the guy that's like, oh, I want to have a beer with him immediately like i i would love because he's he's so cool he's so like like i said fit and at the same time as you go along you realize oh this man is a fucking monster <laughs> yeah but, but that's the exactly what you just said and that's the brilliance of the performance and the character he's totally he he's playing caleb obviously we know that now after we've seen it but he's he's really playing him the entire time he knows he's going to sign that nda he right. knows the fact but he even says, look, man, if you don't want to sign it, that's totally cool. We can hang out for a week drinking beers and shooting the shit. That's cool with me, too. We used to be buddies. Like, he knows for a fact that he's just instantly manipulating this kid. And it, it's just, he, 
he's a piece of shit, obviously. We know that. But he's so charismatic that you want to follow this piece of shit, dude. Like, you would get why someone like a Caleb would be like, eh, all right, yeah, whatever you want to do, buddy. Like, you get it. Even knowing that this guy's a fucking jerk off. But damn, do I want to listen to him talk. And I want to tell him to tell me about all this technology that he's working on. And, and that how I'm going to be at the forefront now. My name will go in history books. There's no question that if this shit wouldn't have ended the way it did, Caleb's not going to have any recognition for this. It's all going to be Nathan. He's not going to give throw Caleb a bone. But that's what the NDAs were. And and if Nathan is that manipulative, you know, as you said, playing Caleb, uh, then is it any surprise that Ava is that manipulative? Because that's who created her. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments in this movie, uh, which I think is a is a great moment for Gleason because it's done wordlessly. You know, the, early on in the film, there's the the conversation about actual versus uh, simulation. You know, is is she a simulation or is she actual? And you start seeing that throughout the film. To the point where Caleb has gotten so mind-fucked by what's going around him, he cuts himself open to make sure that he's actual, that he is still, he is a human being, that he doesn't just, isn't imagining that he's a human being, and he's actually still a machine, and I, I love that, but that's how, that's how badly these two are messing with his brain. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very interesting moment, even I love him commenting back on it, just like, are you alright, dude? I saw you fucking slice your arm open, didn't seem like you're well. Didn't seem like you're doing yeah. great, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, to be fair, I would have been thrown off by Nathan the moment like he references Ghostbusters and his go-to is the ghost blowjob scene. It's like, that's a scene no one wants to bring up about Ghostbusters. It's immediately sus. Immediately sus. But it happened. <laughs> it, no, it but happened. Look- dude, but that's the thing. He's a dude, bro. That's the point. Right. Like, he's yep. just tech guy, but he's just a fucking chauvinistic dude, bro, too. So of course that guy would bring up that scene. Of course that's the scene. Yep, and I, and I don't want to talk to him at all about Ghostbusters 2016. I'm sure he has a lot of thoughts, and I don't want to hear any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just go back to dancing. Go back to dancing, that's right. please. Which, for the record, stellar scene. The moment that fucking oh. happens is, like, one of the... But there's a reason, like, that has been, like, gift so many times after this movie. Just, like, it's such a stellar example in the middle of this, like, very dry, kind of, like, almost could be a play like back and forth between all these characters, it just turns into a fucking badass dance moment. <laughs> but but also on top of that, that plays into the whole simulation versus actual theme that's going throughout the movie because that shows you Kyoko is a simulation. They're doing the exact same dance because that's what she's been programmed to do. She doesn't know how to do her own dance. And and that shows the difference between her and Ava. So that that builds on that theme that you're supposed to be thinking about during the movie. Right, whereas Ava has her own creativity that he's trying to suppress, but like the art that she does or her trying to dress up and shit like that, she's trying to create her own reality against Nathan's wishes, um, right. which is like so stellar and phenomenal, which I also want, before we close off on this movie, the Academy Award winning special effects are so minimal but stunning. And I was so surprised, especially to find out I'm doing research for the show, no green screen was involved. I still don't buy this. Well, I, I actually, I watched like a behind the scenes thing on the Blu-ray and it's so fascinating to see because all they did was they would shoot one sequence where it's like Vikander doing all her movements and the way the suit looked, it was all mostly gray except for like those de- demarcation points like underneath her breasts and like right above her pelvis, stuff like that. And then they would shoot it again, but just without Alicia Vikander in the scene. And then they would just digitally rotoscope over 
so you could see like the reflection through and everything else. It is remarkable how they were able to do that, especially on a fifteen million dollar budget. It still looks so great. Like I'm just looking. This is a fucking robot walking around right now. Holy fucking shit! I love the little chirps and sounds that her processor makes throughout. Yes. Like, and I know that's not a visual effect. It's so essential to her character, and it, it it makes you like her. It's this this friendly little chirp and and sound that's going on when she's processing stuff. Yeah, to the point where I'm watching this, and you know, I'm trying to sort of, unfortunately, because I've seen it a couple times, so I'm able to do this. But I'm trying to sort of find the faults with the CGI, and the only thing, the only part of it that I'm looking at, I'm like, well, you can tell that is is her ears. Believe it or not, that's the last point before it becomes sort of the metal skull. The ears look like they're CGI, but that's nitpicking. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to show this sort of exoskeleton on the inside of these LED lights and and sort of servers and processors, and it, it just looks so fucking legit. I cannot believe on the budget they had that they accomplished that. But we already said it's basically three actors in a limited space, so you know where that money went. It went mostly to that and licensing the Saturday Night song, I think, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Or also, to be fair, the, the set design as well and the location shoot. Like, I can't emphasize enough also how gorgeous, like, that set looks. And even when they go outside, like, the whole scene where they're talking back and forth, uh, Oscar Isaac and Dom Hall Gleason near the glacier. And she's like, oh my god, this fucking location is stunning. <laughs> I just love the way it looks and how that contrasts so perfectly with when they're in the dank, windowless parts of that fucking compound. Yeah, well, and the, just the visual style alone, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to hate you guys because I'm going to go lose eight hours to watching Devs over again. Uh, Garland's TV show that he made yeah. for uh, for FX on Hulu, which is this same vibe. Like, if you like this movie, go watch Devs. Don't look anything about it. Don't 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 do any research into it. Just sit down and watch it because it's this exact same tone and vibe and feeling watching it. Yeah, I would firmly recommend that show. Well, Adam, you still haven't seen that, right? No, I haven't seen it. God damn it, Adam! Get off your ass and go watch it. <laughs> I don't know, we might we might do that maybe uh, in some other space maybe for a Patreon bonus thing. Wink, wink, become a patron now. Wink. But but yeah, I, I think before we go into final thoughts, I do just want to ask the ending of this movie, the stellar sort of like horror implications with her murdering Nathan, leaving Caleb behind, but then venturing outside. It's one of those endings where it's like Rafe kind of said earlier. It's a movie where because she's so sympathetic, it has so many horrible implications for us as humans. But at the same time, you're just like, nah, I mean, I get it. I do get it. But at the same time, you're like, ah, fucking poor Caleb. No, I, I am I am not poor Caleb. <laughs> Caleb will be okay, because how many calls or meetings will Nathan miss before they finally send someone to check on him and find Caleb? Caleb will be fine. It's it's He's not sentenced to a death sentence. He's just deterred so that she can get out into the world. I don't know. And why aren't you poor Caleb, Thomas? What you, uh... Because he's a fuckboy. We talked about this earlier. <laughs> like, he's not... And he deserves to die. I, I don't... Like, I'm I'm not as sympathetic to that dude compared to, like, the... once Because, like, his only... The only reason he was trying to save Ava whatsoever was because it's like, I'm going to have my girlfriend. And I, I think that's that's the thing. It's like, he had totally, like, dumb, selfish motivations for trying to get her out in a way where I'm just like, I'm not that sympathetic to that dude. I am way more for Ava. Like, you go. Get the fuck out of there. Like, I, I don't have that same sympathetic edge. Also, I agree with Rafe that he's probably going to get out of there sooner than later. Um, but if anything, he's also going to get fucked over because it's like, hmm, I wonder who murdered Nathan. Hmm. <laughs> who did that? Back in the past, Nancy's both you. 
You guys are, you guys are terrible. Terrible. <laughs> I love that the guy who hated on Dom Hall Gleese is super like, come on, guys. Caleb's a good guy. <laughs> I like the character. <laughs> now, if it was actual Domnell Gleason, then I'd, I might be on your side. I, I don't know. But <laughs> the character's... Uh, but but are you still at least like pro Ava getting out of there though and living her life? Yeah, of course. And the implications of what could happen from there is sort of mind staggering. Like, what is going to happen? Is she just going to blend into society? Is she going to become some fucking CEO genius? Or I mean, like, what is going to happen? And it, that's the ultimate great things about sci-fi, where just sort of where you could take your mind and and the curiosities and the questions it raises. And this movie does all of it. And uh, yeah, like what the fuck is happening now? Like, is she going to walk into a bank? You know what I mean? It's just like control some server. Like what the fuck? It, it, it's, it's great. My thought is more likely like a whole uh, machines creating machines kind of thing. That's what I'm guessing too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, th- I think she's going to basically uh, trigger the singularity. Cause even Nathan mentions that that's like, well, this smile's not going to work, but by the next one, will have like a singularity moment i'm sure humanity and machine are so blurred line that it doesn't even matter anymore and uh it's like i said you know just based on uh, what we get of the human characters here it's just like you know what maybe maybe just fuck humanity maybe you guys can like <laughs> get the rubble and start over make this a better place you probably could <laughs> who knows see the first movie adam wanted humanity to die the second movie is making it happen so there you go <laughs> it's a self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> that's right <laughs> but uh, let's get into some final thoughts we've been talking quite a while about Ex Machina here as it's really been the cerebral sci-fi it's been making our uh, juices flowing in our brains here Adam your final thoughts on Ex Machina I mean it's a it's a great movie dude it, it's wonderful to look at uh, it's bolstered by two really good performances and one that I fucking hate but it, it's still it's it's a really good small sharp sci-fi movie it, it's it's one of those where I'm glad it's got attention um, as as the years have gone on, but I still think it's kind of a criminally underseen one. Maybe not as much as some other things we've talked about or, or movies of the ilk, but uh, it's it's a really really good good movie. It's a thinker piece. It's a thinker piece. Uh, I know that's a problem for Rafe because he does not have a mind of his own, um, but it is a, a great great little movie i'm sure he has enough of mind to not call it a thinker piece i don't believe that's a term (laughs) (laughs) i think we're supposed to be using the term cerebral sci-fi i created it fuck you guys i created something today what if you fuckers (laughs) and one day that thing will stab you in the back and leave (laughs) that's what that thing you created will do it's just a big poster board with times new roman thinker piece (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no offense but that's probably like comic sans (laughs) (laughs) hey hey adam uh, are you a good person no absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) having done this podcast with him for over three years can confirm (laughs) Uh, but rafe your final thoughts on this thinker piece this thinker piece uh as i said one of my favorite movies from the last decade when i think cerebral sci-fi this is one of the first movies that jumped to mind uh as a possibility and so when you when you told me this was one of the movies i was very excited to have an excuse to watch it yet again um and and, and it's one of those that like 
there are some cerebral sci-fi movies that you watch once and you go, wow, that really left me thinking about stuff. And then you watch it again and you go, ah, it's actually not as deep as I thought it was. This isn't one of those. Every time I watch it, I find something new, something new to focus on. Um, you didn't mention it, but you put in the notes for the show about the Plato's allegory of the cave, uh, especially there at the end of the movie. And it like, I hadn't even thought of that connection. I was focused on the, the, you know, Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus connection. Uh, now, next time I watch it, I'll probably be focusing on that. So it's, it, it is just such a well-assembled film and the atmosphere and the performances and, and the visuals, just everything is, is so good. This is just a top notch movie. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can interpret it, and I think that's what makes it such an interesting little sci-fi movie. And I think it's stellar for all the things we mentioned, um, but also I think it's very uh, huge for, we didn't mention much of this either, this is one of the uh, early big examples of an A24 movie. Now, you yes. kind of helped create that brand um, as it is, which is like these interesting, smaller movies that uh, ask bigger questions, especially with the genre realm of things. I think it's, it's important for so many reasons there. Um, but at the same time, it's also just like a really interesting, fascinating movie to just like really sit down with and meet up on its terms. That's also incredibly entertaining because uh, Oscar Isaac dances and goddamn, he just tears up that dance floor like he says. Stellar shit. <laughs> Oh, but before we get to our uh, next segment, uh, let's uh, go ahead and hear a message from the ESO crew that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. So now it's time for the double redo, where every week Adam and I, and potentially a guest, and in this case Rafe, I believe, has some options here. We recommend and don't recommend two movies for the uh, double redo, where we talk about the best possible double feature and the worst possible double feature related to the topic that we're doing in this case with uh, the cerebral sci-fi uh, subgenre. Um, Adam, you're going first here. What are the two movies you would recommend people watch and the two you would recommend they avoid in the subgenre? All right, for my two good ones, I have uh, the Leigh-Winnell sci-fi movie, Upgrade, which is a, it's a better Venom movie, let's put it that way. Um, it's just a really cool looking movie. Great lead performance from Logan Marshall Green. Really gory action, but ultimately sympathetic characters kind of all around. It's just a really fun, exciting little movie. Great camera shots too in it. Some of the action cinematography in this is, is sort of mind blowing, the camera tricks they pull off. Um, it's sort of the precursor to an invisible man. Uh, I think that's why they went out sort of got that job. This is just, it's a really sharp movie. And um, one of those that sort of came out of nowhere. Like I did not know what to expect, even from the uh, advertisements from this movie. It's it, they don't do it justice. It's a really good sci-fi movie. And then the other one I have is a, is a Spanish sort of um, reality bending time bending film that was sort of unfairly um, lumped into the horror genre. Like it, uh, Fangoria covered it a lot. It was on a lot of different things. And while there are some horrific elements, it, it, it's really sort of this reality warping film. It's called Time Crimes. Um, silly name, but 
it's really, really good. They keep teasing doing a remake, uh, English language remake every couple years. I'm glad it hasn't happened yet because it doesn't need to. This movie is great with its even its limited budget and basically one actor. It's it's something to see. I, I cannot recommend Time Crimes enough. And now on the flip side, I have George Lucas's original THX 1138. Now, I know a lot of people might be like, oh, what the fuck? No, dude, the movie's boring. It's a mm. boring movie. Now, some of it's cool, Robert Duvall, of course, but I just find it to be a fucking bore fest. Personal opinion, but it is just not for me at all. Like, I, I understand it's, you know, maybe the sort of birthing point of what we would get with George Lucas, but I'm good without this. I, I just, I can't cannot handle it and the other thing i picked now visually it's incredible and it's by it's based on a philip k dick story which i really do like philip k dick stuff for the most part i mean he you know blade runner which i love but it's very loosely based on the original material but still i i tend to like most things based on philip k dick uh i have a scanner darkly visually great uh, Woody Harrelson, Robert Downey Jr., fantastic in it as, as sort of side performance. But the rest of it is just too sort of pretentious and convoluted. And look at all the fun stuff we can do. And not enough care really is given to sort of flesh out the plot or the characters for me. Like I said, visually stimulating, of course. But other than that, it's just ultimately feels a little hollow to me. So, yeah, that's that's uh, what I got on that. I've seen all four of your movies, one of them actually fairly recently because you had divulged your picks um, with A Scanner Darkly, and that's a movie I want to kind of put a pin in because I think I like it a lot more than you. I don't love it. I do have some issues with it, but I find it an endlessly fascinating movie that, like, say, if we ever do maybe a Linklater episode, I would love to delve into that movie because I think it has so many interesting, fascinating science fiction ideas it brings up. And I, 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 I would be curious to talk about that more in depth. Um, but I love Upgrade. Um, I do agree with you. It's also funny that you mentioned it's a, a better Venom when Logan Marshall Green is also like the discount Tom Hardy to a yep. certain degree. He looks so much like fucking Tom Hardy. Yeah, he's college store Tom Hardy, for sure. Right, but he's also a good actor. That's the sad thing. Yeah. He's, he's a pretty good actor, but he's totally just like, oh, is, do we not have Tom Hardy available? Let's get Logan in here. Logan, come on. Why don't you come in? I, I also would say I've seen THX 1138. I um, like it. All right. I think it's more of these movies that like I appreciate for what it gave us rather than as much as like what it is. Um, I, I respect it a lot more than I think I like it necessarily. Um, it also has, I would argue, the worst special edition of any George Lucas movie. Where if you've seen the 2004 special edition, which I think is the version that is most likely available, uh, the CG he adds in there looks way worse than even like the Star Wars like special editions. That's saying a lot. It like there's an explosion that happens early on in the movie, and the special edition looks like a fucking dot gif explosion it's like really fucking terrible looking and then time crimes i agree underrated i didn't see it actually until last year and i think that's a stellar especially such a small budget movie it's able to like do so much it's a really great little like sci-fi in horror to some extent nacho vigalando is a very good director i wish would make more movies honestly because i really like that one and i loved colossal which is another movie that i would firmly recommend out there that's not quite as cerebral but is a really creative original sci-fi comedy yeah, I haven't seen either of your 
good picks, uh, but so I'm adding those to my list of films to see, especially Upgrade, because I did see the trailer for it and it didn't interest me. So if you're saying the trailer doesn't do a good job in selling it, then then I need to, to give it a chance. Uh, I have seen both of your bad picks. I totally disagree with you on A Scanner Darkly. I think it's a phenomenal movie. Um, now, given it's been a couple of years since I've seen it, so I'm due for a rewatch on it, and maybe I'll agree more with you there, but I can't agree with you more on THX 1138. That movie is so boring. I was so excited to watch it when it finally came to DVD, and I'm pretty sure it was that special edition that Thomas was mentioning, but uh, I just, I could not believe how how much I didn't end up liking that film. So I, I totally agree with that one. And clearly the worst movie George Lucas ever directed. Clearly he didn't do any really, really didn't, terrible didn't movies. Say that. <laughs> didn't say that. Maybe uh, write me down for upgrade on your show. <laughs> well, now it's my turn to do uh, my double redo picks um, for my good. I have a uh, one that's sort of like, I think an underrated kind of cult movie that um, I only saw recently and found extremely fascinating. And one is also like a newer movie that I would also say has a, deserves more of call attention. Um, the first one I have is the 1976 movie, The Man Who Fell to Earth, which stars David Bowie as an alien. Shocking. I know that he would play like some extraterrestrial creature that isn't of our time and space. But he basically uh, plays this alien that's landed on Earth and is trying to get back to his home planet so he can save his family and his entire species because uh, their planet is losing water. Um, so he's trying to get some from Earth, and he tries to basically assimilate and become a part of like a company that will create space travel. To... And as the movie goes along, he becomes so much more like despondent and becomes addicted to alcohol and all this other stuff. Strikes up a relationship with Candy Clark, um, meets Buck Henry is one of the people he tries to get uh, the money out of to build the spaceship to go off. I find it such a fascinating movie where it's not as sci-fi heavy in terms of like, it's more just about seeing this alien character who we know is an alien just basically fall to human vices and to our own lack of empathy for others in a way that I found so fascinating and is, I think, the best performance Bowie ever gave as a film actor. I think he has done a lot of great work. Like, I love Labyrinth and I love uh, him and something like The Prestige. But I think it is such a stellar, like, way to lead this entire movie and especially when he's spending so much of being despondent and kind of an asshole at the same time, you have this real tragedy about, like, oh, he's this beautiful, unique, awesome creation. He's fucking David Bowie, and he is succumbing to the worst parts of humanity, even though he is this character who will be forever young, forever look like the David Bowie of 1976. And as time goes around him, he just, like, wallows in a sort of pit of misery, knowing that he can't really do anything. And I think it's such a, a stellar little underrated sci-fi movie, even though I think I knew of this movie more just because David Bowie was the star, but I think it hasn't gotten as much attention in recent years that I would recommend people seek it out. And then the other one I have is um, one of them anime pictures the kids talk about, Paprika, which is a movie from Satoshi Kon, who I've talked about previously on this show. I'm not a huge anime person, but I love Satoshi Kon's movies. This was his last one before he passed away. And uh, tell me if this maybe sounds familiar, that it's about a bunch of people who use this machine so they can go inside people's dreams. Hmm, did this come out after Inception? No, it came out in 2006, baby. That's right. I'm not saying Christopher Nolan maybe saw this and ripped off some things, um, because it's a very different movie stylistically. It has a lot more weird dream logic with the animation that looks so stellar. But at the same time, there's a lot of things, though, you, you know, you might watch this and you're like, hmm, I think the, maybe Nolan ripped a few things off. Maybe. Who knows? But uh, for my bad double feature, 
I have the the first one I recommend is one that I heard a lot about and a lot of people were praising this movie and I only saw it recently and I think it's astonishing how curious a sci-fi concept it is and how poorly it's executed because I think of not just the low budget but quite frankly I don't like this director at all um, both admittedly as a person and as a creative Shane Carruth with a primer I think it has such a initial fascinating spark of an idea with like homemade time travel but the way that it's done it's so dull in its execution none of the characters have any life to them it is literally just like you can get the same thing from watching this movie you get out of watching the diagram that's online of like how they travel in time that's more interesting honestly than spending the 80 minutes watching this fucking movie it is such a slog i i like kept falling asleep honestly fucking watching it it is such like a completely soulless emotionless dull fucking movie that has a cute sci-fi premise at its core but it's just like such a poor execution of it um and then uh, speaking of uh this time a director who i had so much hope for and even speaking of david bowie i have uh, his son duncan jones's most recent feature mute who duncan jones i really loved his first two movies with uh, moon starring sam rockwell i think is great and then um source code with Jake Gyllenhaal, I think it's a really fun kind of like sci-fi thriller movie. But afterward, he did Warcraft, which I'm not a huge fan of. And then Mute, I think, is just bottom of the barrel crap. With like this whole premise of revolving around like an Amish guy who lives in the distant future that he's in he's mute, so he can't actually talk to anybody. And his girlfriend gets kidnapped by Paul Rudd, who plays a guy that steals organs from people along with Justin Theroux, who's like a very clear pedophile it's such a weird fucking like mishmash of nothing that i'm just like i don't know what the fuck you're going for dude it looks expensive because it's a netflix release and it looks like oh man they put a lot of money into creating the world it looks a lot like blade runner but it is like the polar opposite of a blade runner follow-up to like blade runner 2049 it is bafflingly poor movie that's like ugly and dull and just kind of all around shitty to a degree that that dude's only made four movies. I really like two of them, did not like the other two. But this one is so bad that I'm just like, I don't care if you make more movies, too. <laughs> this is just, like, really a pathetic attempt at creating, like, a big sci-fi movie. And what questions is it asking? I don't know. I, I have no idea what the fuck you're trying to ask me, dude, with this. I have seen three of your four. I haven't seen Paprika. Uh, obviously, my aversion to anime sort of prevented me from that. I know of it. Maybe I'll check it out. I'm going to tell you right now, probably not. <laughs> but um, I love Man Who Fell to Earth. I, 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 I've seen it in the theater actually twice. They play it at this little art theater uh, out here in Michigan uh, almost annually. It, it, it's a fantastic, fantastic film. And I, I agree, it's probably Bowie's best. I put it right up there with The Hunger and The Prestige. Uh, it, definitely. He's he's just phenomenal in it. And it's very sad, but it's... It's just, it's a great little movie for sure. Primer, I, I can't agree enough. It is a dull, dull movie. And it should be interesting. Uh, it's a cool little concept, like you said. And, and, and the diagrams are the most interesting part of the movie. And the rest is just garbage. Mute, what the fuck is that movie? I do not understand. And Blade Runner like looking. No, it, it's basically a ripoff of Blade Runner. The way it looks, the way the costuming is, the neon lighting everywhere. And it's just awful. You feel every minute of its runtime. It is such a slog to get through. And I was super excited for it. A, I like Duncan Jones as well. 
B, I like Skarsgård, I like Thoreau, I like Rudd. I'm like, all right, this could be something fucking awesome. Oh, no, is it not? It is a pure garbage fire shit fest of a movie. It is just, fuck that movie. I wasted two hours of my life. Thank God it's Netflix. Because right, if I just saw it at the show, I'd have been in, just incessantly raged. Uh, yeah, I, no, yeah, mute's garbage. Well, I've seen one of your four movies. Um, Man Who Fell to Earth has been on my list for far longer than it should have been. Uh, I need to get around to watching it. I'll I'll bump that up because you guys are praising it so much. Uh, I'm also not an anime fan, so Paprika isn't even on my radar, but maybe I'll check it out. Um, My chances of seeing it are probably higher than Adam's, but that still doesn't put it incredibly high. Primer has been recommended to me so many times by different people, so I'm surprised to hear both of you saying it negative things about it, but uh, it hasn't been recommended highly enough for me to ever pull the trigger on actually watching it. So maybe I'm saving myself from that, but I remember being lukewarm on mute. Um, there were aspects of it that I liked. There were aspects of it that I didn't like. It's been a long time since I've seen it though. Cause I think I saw it like the first week it was out on Netflix. Um, I do remember feeling like Rudd and Thoreau were essentially doing a mash ripoff with their characters, like the, the movie mash, uh, especially even visually. But um, I, 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 so I can't, put it down as much as you guys have but i i remember being lukewarm on it well rafe i believe you have uh, your movies prepared as well what what do you have to recommend and not recommend okay on the good side uh the the, the i told you that ex machina was one of the first movies to come to mind but uh children of men was also one of the first movies to come to mind as well and i i even from the trailer it, it had me going as far as like, you know, the idea that life has lost all meaning for people on the planet once they couldn't have babies. Like there's not going to be a future generation. There's not going to be a future of the human race. What does that look like? And I think the film does a phenomenal job of uh, showing you that visually as it's telling this story. So I'm a, a big fan of that one. And I, I have to go, and I know it's a much maligned film now. I'm still a big fan of it, and that is uh, Donnie Darko. We just pretend that Richard Kelly never did a director's cut of it or any other movie, and uh, it's still a brilliant film that that makes you think. And I'm just – I still love the the feeling that watching that movie gives me um, and, and, and pondering some of the questions that are brought up by it. On the bad side – uh, originally, I was going to have District 9 on my good movies, so the, the, putting Elysium as a bad movie made sense because you're showing both sides of the same director. But Elysium was such a letdown after District 9. It, it's kind of the same problem that we ran into with Lucy. Is it, it, is it really even asking any questions? Is there anything really here? And he does the same attempt at social commentary that he did with District 9, but it's just handled so poorly that that, that movie was such a disappointment. And then uh, for my other bad pick, I'm going with In Time, which I thought had a really interesting concept of, you know, time being a currency, that that, that becomes how people pay for things and, and what they earn as they work and that kind of stuff. I, I got to say, Justin Timberlake is not the bad thing about the movie, but it's just not a good story. And it's it's very boring. Uh, it, it does attempt to be an action sci-fi piece, and I don't think the action sequences are done well. And I think ultimately they didn't think through the story enough to really leave you asking any questions with it. Um, yeah, I have not seen In Time. I know that's the Gattaca guy whose name I can't fucking remember who also wrote Truman Show. Um, the, the I know that was like his one of his more recent movies. 
I would definitely say with Donnie Darko, I didn't, I watched that in high school and loved it. And then I was curious to revisit it now. And I did like last year. And I think it still is interesting, especially I, the underrated thing about that movie that I think it represents perfectly is white male suburban angst in a way that I think is <laughs> extremely accurate for like all mainly the faults of that character. I don't know how intentional that is from Richard Kelly, uh, but that, that dude also is like another one of those like fascinating falls like Duncan Jones were just like, man, out the gate so interesting. And then Southland Tales is interesting um, for all the right it's, reasons. It's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> it's a, that is a swing. Um, you didn't hit the ball at all. It just went past the fucking umpire. Um, I think he was playing a different sport at that point, Frank. That's where he hit a hockey stick. <laughs> the hot goalie mask. Um, and Elysium, I can totally agree with that. Another guy, once again, with uh, the... Okay, what's his fucking name? Neil Bloomkampf. Right, yeah. Neil Blomkamp. Yeah, his um, another like like oh man, District Nine, so stellar. And then Elysium and Chappie are two just like what the fuck are you doing with all this goodwill, dude? You're just flushing it down the toilet. <laughs> to and the I point... haven't gone near Chappie. I haven't even touched it because Elysium left me so jaded towards his work. The the best thing about Chappie is still the meme that was going around of just like Chappie walks on screen and I lean over to my date and say that's Chappie. <laughs> the best thing to come out of that terrible fucking movie. Uh, Children of Men is a movie I loved when I initially saw it. Um, unfortunately, as time has progressed, it's one that I don't know if I want to revisit because reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, oh man, this is a great movie. I don't know if I'm ever gonna watch it again because it's like such a stellar depiction of just like society crumbling and like, well, you know, <laughs> kind of like Contagion in that regard. Oh, yeah, <laughs> true, very true. Um, I've seen all four of the four of the movies. Uh, I love Children of Men so much. Uh, Michael Caine, yeah, uh, stoner uh, Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah, but dude, just I, I, you know, emotional tears every time. I, I love that movie. God, what a great. Also, one of the greatest one shots of all time, the Julianne Moore Carches ever. It's so good, and it's bolstered by just so many masterful performances. Best Clive Owen's ever been. Chiwetel Ejiofor, fantastic. Julianne Moore, fantastic. Even fucking Charlie Hunnam is menacing and scary in it. Like, it, it's a fantastic, fantastic movie. Um, Donnie Darko, now, I, the problem with me with Donnie Darko is it was hyped up so much for me before I saw it. And I saw it pretty early, but it was like, I used to hang out with, like, the goth kids. Mm. I mean, they're just like, you gotta see it, it'll change your life. You know, type of shit. Like, oh, hold on, let me fucking pause Bauhaus so it, and <laughs> so I watched it and I'm like I it's just fucking teenage angsty goth bullshit when I first saw it like I, I hated it I hated it now I've gone back and watched it recently and I don't hate it anymore but I still like it's okay it's fine I get why it has a following I just don't think it's for me it is a fucking wonderful Patrick Swayze performance even his yeah, little he, right he's Fantastic in it. Now, Elysium, uh, there's two things about that that I will say about it, and then I'm going to leave it at that. One is, uh, what the fuck is Charlton Copley saying in that movie? Like, ever. <laughs> like, ever. I, You love that, don't you, baby? Like, what the fuck? Who? What? And uh, Matt Damon plays a character named Max DeCosta. Fuck off with this. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And what's even more interesting about that is, like, the first choice in mind was fucking Eminem. Yep, to play and that then character. Ninja from Diantwerk, Di who was in Chappie. Yes. Uh, and then, so, natural progression, Eminem, or South African rapper, 
Ninja. Well, third choice, Boston Matt Damon. <laughs> logical, very logical. I will say, as shitty as Chappie is, I will watch Chappie over Elysio. I really will, because Chappie is so fucking perplexing to me, and in like kind of an interesting way, over Elysium. Elysium is just dog shit. Like, I, I in the fuck off, and in time, man, that movie has such a stellar cast around it. It should be great, and I, I, I think the story is really good. It is just handled so piss poorly. Um, to try to make a starring vehicle for Justin Timberlake and Amanda Seyfried. And it just does not work at all. Um, unfortunately, because it's kind of slick. It's slick looking, too. Like, it looks good. It's just, yeah, it's, it's nah, that's a big pass. Uh, by the way, the guy who wrote um, In Time, who I forgot, Andrew Nichol. That's the name of that Right, guy. right. There you, yes. there you go. Who was just like, oh, man, Gattaca and Truman should right at the gate. And then, aside from, like, yep. 44, like, not a lot. <laughs> Yeah, there's that motherfucker. Well, and it's interesting in all of our picks how many fall from grace people we're talking about who had a strong out of the gate. I mean, even Charlton Copley as an actor, you know, how many how many people came out and became like everybody started paying attention to them and then their follow ups were just disappointing. True. The hubris. Uh, they're all a bunch of Nathans trying to <laughs> <laughs> falling so down. Uh, though I'm sure they are, haven't don't have AI in their basements. Allegedly, I'm not putting any allegations out there allegedly i don't know we don't know we don't know but um that is the end of our double redo and uh we want to thank some people before we get out of here uh we want to thank of course uh chris oliver for the intro and after music used in our show listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com thanks to uh, christian thor lally for the artwork for our show follow him at night of water that's night with a k uh, underscore of underscore water uh, for all his great art. And uh, also thanks to our loyal Patreon subscribers uh, for just $1 a month over at patreon.com slash pod. You all get to uh, listen to bonus podcasts we do. Like right before uh, we record this with Rafe, Adam and I recorded a little bonus episode uh, for a media discussion for the month of August where we covered the uh, animated miniseries Over the Garden Wall, uh, which we had an interesting conversation about that we would also recommend you all watch that before you uh, listen to our talk. We go into spoilery detail, and uh, it's one we would definitely both recommend. Uh, yeah, it's my favorite thing I've seen uh, in the past five years, for sure. Stellar little program for sure and then also you all get to vote in polls for individual movies we cover or topics we cover for the show and uh, we'll be having a poll coming out this week for uh, one of our next episodes we do in September uh, where we'll be covering um, either one of these uh, two very talented actresses careers uh, you all get to ha- help us pick between uh, two people we've wanted to do episodes on for quite a while actually we have Natalie Portman versus Tilda Swinton hmm. Yeah, I'm good on either one of those such different careers, but I'd argue both very varied and prolific. And uh, I know which way I'm going to vote. Oh, that's right, because Rafe, you are a patron, of course. I am. And uh, do you want to reveal your vote here, or do you want to keep that to yourself? Just oh, like... I'll keep that to myself. <laughs> well, of course, no one will know that except for me when I look at who voted. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, what I asked Thomas. <laughs> which fucking one did that asshole do? <laughs> yes, uh, but you know, while we're talking about Rafe, Rafe, thank you for coming on the show. We always love having you on. And why don't you go plug yourself? What do you have to share with people that you have on the internet? My podcast is called Have Not Seen This. It's a weekly look at a movie that's picked by the guest of the show. I get no say in the movie that we pick. 
and we have a great in-depth conversation, usually about the movie, uh, about our lives relating to the movie, uh, some fun games at the end, that kind of thing. You can find that uh, wherever podcasts are found. Have not seen this. I'm on social media. Have not seen this on Twitter or have not seen this podcast on Facebook. Both Thomas and Adam have been on the show and have uh, upcoming episodes lined up. So if you like listening to them without the other one or like listening to them with me, then it's a great opportunity to hear more of them. It's one of my favorite podcasts I've ever guested on. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, both times for yeah. sure. Thank you. Yeah. But I just was recently on one of the, the newer episodes about the King of comedy. One of my favorites. God, and you, you boy, I, I don't think I ever would have watched that movie if you hadn't picked it for the podcast. It, it's been on my radar, but I, I enjoyed our discussion about it. I enjoyed watching the movie, too. Yeah, it was a lot of fun talking about it on your show. Of course, love being on Rafe. And we also love anybody that submits uh, over some you know thoughts and feedback to us. You can do so uh, by finding us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. Also, you can submit feedback at DoubleEdgeDoubleBill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And if you can't support us uh, monthly for just $1 on the Patreon, you could make a one-time purchase that also helps us out a bit over at the ESOT Public Store, which there'll be a link in the description for that where you can buy a mug or a t-shirt or a tote bag, all sorts of things with our lovely logo on it. And we get a bit of a kickback from that, so it would really help if they did what, Adam? Soccer Blue, buy our merch! Buy our merch! <laughs> oh, God, did I turn on the French version of it? I kind of like... This remote control does not work for Adam Re at all. Reprogram Adam. Reprogramming Adam now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but um, for more of our individual antics, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as AdNotTheWho'sTommy, uh, where I share my own individual musings. I also do some writing at both my personal blog, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com, and also at Film-Cred.com, where I'm a staff writer. And also, I should mention uh, that I'll be returning in person to DragonCon this uh, Labor Day weekend. If you feel safe enough to come out, uh, you know, they're reducing capacity and they're, you know, trying to make sure that everything is as safe as possible for people. If you feel safe enough, we'd, I'd recommend you uh, come over to Atlanta, Georgia um, on that week between uh, September 2nd and September 5th. I'll be doing panels including uh, on Thursday at 7 p.m. I'll be doing what we do in the shadows, uh, the panel for talking about mainly season two. And then at, uh, on Thursday at 10 p.m. I'll be doing one about David Cronenberg. Saturday at 7 p.m. I'll be doing, speaking of David Bowie, one about David Bowie and horror uh, for them. Uh, there will be a digital panel that will be out on uh, Saturday at 11 p.m. Uh, slasher sequels of 1981, where we talk about Halloween 2 and Friday the 13th part 2. Um, then... Breaking out of horror on Sunday at 2.30 p.m., I'll be doing one for Fargo, in honor of its 25th anniversary, with uh, Mike Faber and Mike Gordon, previous guest on the show, um, talking about Fargo, the original movie. On uh, Sunday at 5.30 p.m., I'll be doing one for 1981, The Year of the Werewolf, where we'll be talking about American Werewolf in London and The Howling and Wolfen, which will be... A very interesting, yes. Um, and they'll, I'll have stuff on my social medias and stuff for like the locations of where those panels will be and everything. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A T O M underscore O R underscore A D A M. And I'm also on Litterboxd at Schwanson. That's S C H W A N D T S O N. And that's about it for me. Uh, cause I, uh, you know, as we've discussed on this episode, hate humanity. 
Yes, and for more of Adam's hot takes on humanity, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not listen to all the other great shows on there? Or if you want to dig into more episodes we did before we joined ESO, follow our main Podbean feed for like for 70 or so episodes we did before we joined ESO. And if nothing else, if you can't support us on the Patreon or buy the merch, what helps us out for a completely low cost of nothing is to rate, review, or share the show around. That gives us more visibility out there in the ether. I mean, and literally, you can't make it clear enough. It costs nothing. Just fucking do it. Yes, please. <laughs> please, if you can, too. <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, now, Adam, we got to end this yep. very long episode. And uh, before we do, we have to do our picking for next week. Because every week, as I mentioned, Adam and I uh, pick a number between uh, 1 and 10 for each other's choices. Uh, one person has two good movies, one person has two bad movies. And uh, the other person, or a guest in the case of Rafe, uh, picks a number between 1 and 10, and that gets us our good and our bad feature. Though keep them in mind, uh, we do have the Godfather rule in effect still, where both Adam and I have a single veto in our pocket to choose an alternative good or bad choice. Uh, we only have one of those that we have until May of next year uh, for our next anniversary. And so um, we, if we hear a choice and we say, you know, we don't want to talk about that particular movie, we can say the words, actually, I'll take the cannoli. So that means we have to do whatever the other choice is, potentially. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready for the topic we're doing next time, which our patrons, shout out once again, patreon.com slash gedbpod, all you edgelord patrons, that's what we call you, that's what we love calling you, uh, we are doing the year 2008, so films released in, I think, a year that, it's not maybe the best or worst year in recent memory, but it is such a crucial year for film, oh. and what happened afterward. <laughs> Literally, it, it, it's that year single-handedly sort of shaped popular cinema as we know it now. That, that's the year I voted for. Oh, well, now he's revealing things. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rafe, now you get to pick the actual movies that we're going to end up covering. So for number two, one and ten, go with Adam's choices. Uh, Adam, I'm picking number eight. All right. At number nine, it's funny. We've kind of gotten into stars that have sort of fallen off. And I'd argue this guy... Was popular, fell off, popular, fell off, popular, fell off. I have uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler, starring Mickey Rourke. Oh, oh my God. Um, I'll tell you, I'm not taking the cannoli. I'm, I'm going to love watching the movie again, but also I'm going to be emotionally wrecked. Great. Yeah. No, I, can't, no, I, I can't wait to be just so emotionally wrecked. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> great, great, great movie. Uh, and then my other choice had number one, I had In Bruges. Oh, great movie. Oh, so good. I would have totally gone with the other win-win scenario with others. <laughs> yeah, Adam, that's... you picked good movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rafe, for my two bad movies, please pick a number between one and ten. Uh, Thomas, I'm going to pick uh, eight for you as well. What? No. You picked number eight? Oh, oh. oh. Because no. that's very close to, at number nine, I had the infamous M. Night Shyamalan classic, The Happening. Oh, God. Oh, no. Now, Adam, uh, Adam, you do have the option. Do you want to take the cannoli on that? You could if you wanted to. You could use it. I, I No, I can't. No, we got to talk about The Happening. <laughs> <laughs> the first time we covered an M. Night movie since our M. Night episode. 
On the other side of the coin, over at number two, I had a movie that I think starts off so steadily and just really gradually crashes down. I have uh, the Will Smith vehicle Hancock. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I, yeah. Yeah. A lot to talk about with that one, too. But I, I think we got the better of the two. <laughs> the one we'll have at least more fun talking about, I think, for sure. Uh, but that is the end of our episode here. And uh, until next time, everybody, um, please listen to this episode and write your own thinker pieces about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinkering. That's a good idea. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.